Hey guys, my name is Ben Berman and welcome to the Starting It Up podcast where I interview all types of entrepreneurs uncovering actionable steps and inspiration that you can use to build your business, your side hustle, whatever it is that you're trying to create and live the life you've always wanted. On this episode, we're talking with Alex Boyd, the founder and CEO of RevenueZen. RevenueZen helps companies build and execute B2B lead generation engines using a powerful, proven blend of inbound marketing, outbound sales, and social strategies. Alex launched a startup a little over two years ago after realizing that he wanted to build out and create a team and culture of his own. Since then, he has been able to bootstrap and scale RevenueZen up to a seven-figure ARR organization with 18 people on the team and an NPS of 83. We talk about how to know when it's time to make the leap from employee to founder, why focusing on your customer's experience is key when building your business, how to create a winning content marketing strategy, and much more. Here it goes. Hey guys, how's it going? Welcome to the podcast. Today we're talking with Alex Boyd, who is the founder and CEO of RevenueZen. Alex, I'm going to hand it over to you. You've been at RevenueZen. You've been at it for a little over two years. Tell us the story. You know, how'd you get to this point, and uh, and what does RevenueZen actually do? Yeah. Hey Ben, good to be here. Um, got to this point um, after being in in sales for a while, kind of accidentally, um, never really intending to get into it. And then my first job, that was the role that was open. Uh, there was client service, research, and sales, and that was what they had. And so there I found myself. And you know, two and a half years in, I was. Uh, I don't think it was a culture fit for that company. It was a you know, suit and tie brokerage, and I was just dialing closing accounts all day. All the promotions I tried for, I, I couldn't get. Um, I got the sense that um, my style wasn't super welcome. And so I ended up finding my way to, to Indonero, which was you know, more of a tech company environment. Much better fit. Um, cut my teeth there, carried a quota for a while, eventually took over the, the effort and, and then built out a full AE team and an SDR team. Um, and then after, you know, another two and a half years ish in the narrow. So, um, I went my own way and then, um, decided again that, you know, I had experience with leadership and I wanted to really do that from scratch and build a culture, um, that was all our own. I hadn't ever built a product before. I'm not a coder. I've never raised money. So I figured you know, the best way was just to do what we knew best, which was yell and generate leads. And so it started there. And so we, we began, um, bringing on, a co-founder, another co-founder, um, and you know, soon enough we had enough senior leaders who had backgrounds in sales, SDR, and marketing content that we were able to to do a, a wide variety of of packaged, subscription-based lead gen services for companies that just like the ones that I always work with at, at in the narrow and our clients there. And so it was very familiar for me. And so two and a half years in, well, about two years in now, we've um, come you know pretty long way, and and I've grown well so far and it's my first company so i'm still figuring out um some of the things about you know yeah. <laughs> that are larger than uh, um, a few people uh, we have 17 people today and um we're here so i'm still very much in it making it work and and we're growing and thriving so it's lots of fun that's how we got here Awesome. Yeah. So, so that's super cool. And I think, you know, what's, what's interesting and a lot of people are probably wondering is, you know, I think going into the sales route is, is pretty common for a lot of people, um, especially like out of school, especially early in your career. It's, it's what I did as well. Um, and one of the things that I'm interested in is 
what made you such a good salesperson? Because I'm just assuming that you kind of had to be. You know, you uh, took over the sales team at in Dinero, and now you are, you know, the CEO of a tech company that you know focuses on sales and and, and marketing. So, what like what about you, or what skills did you have to learn to to develop you know your sales acumen and get really good at it? Yeah, it's a good question. I remember um, my coworkers at my first job would make fun of me. Um, the company was a brokerage firm and they would just joke like, look, you get on the phone and you talk over people's heads for 10 minutes and they sign up for an account. And I was yeah. like, you know, it's, that's, I mean, not quite right, but like, it's not that far off. And, and what I think I was doing is I was resting my, um, my confidence in having conversations, not in a, a particular skill of persuasion or convincing anything, but just in knowing as much as I possibly could. And then in, guiding people as much as I could toward what I thought was the best. And so, um, you know, what, what I, looking back, what I was doing was I was just gaining knowledge and then building trust by sharing that knowledge. Um, and, you know, the same thing when I, when I came to Indonera, I was, you know, still pretty um, tight, kind of, you know, nerdy and not that great on the phone. And so um, I learned better communication skills over time, um, even everything from, you know, more active listening, better empathy, um, the way you use your voice, whether it's up here in your head voice or down in your chest voice to speak on the phone, um, how to, you know, build rapport with people you don't know very well. But that stuff was all ancillary. It was all just about, for me, I had more of like an engineering mindset going into sales. And I figured there was a process for everything. So for me, it was, it came down first and foremost to get all the numbers and know your numbers. Um, you know, how many calls you need to make, how many people you got to talk to, your average deal sizes, get your sales funnel really down and then accumulate lots of knowledge and then share that knowledge. And for me, it, it, it didn't have to be about what I saw as the bad side of selling, which, you know, back then still is just kind mm -hmm. of aggressive, you know, pushing selling. Um, less prevalent today than it has ever been, but it still never appealed to me. And, and um, I ended up doing better than my teammates because that was more my style. Um, very kind of uh, relaxed, mindful numbers based and, and based in knowledge. Um, and so I've, I've always kept that. Um, so today, you know, most of my sales as a founder focuses on getting on calls with founders and then just asking them about what they have going on, sharing the knowledge that I have across all of our clients and what we've done so far and just saying, look, here's what I would do if I were you. And, you know, if, oh, by the way, you want to work with us, great. That's more of an afterthought. Um, it's mostly about, you know, gaining knowledge and then sharing it. So are you, you know, you have 17 employees right now. Are you still on the phone primarily closing deals or has your role started shifting towards something else? That's a good question. Um, so my co-founder Darren does a lot of our, our marketing, uh, selling and, you know, talking with new customers nowadays, I still do myself for sure. If it's, you know, a referral, a, a friend of mine, and you know, I get a personal email or it's somebody, you know, very local here in Portland, Oregon that I talk to, then yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know, handle that myself. Um, but really client focused at this point. Um, so we just brought on a director of revenue strategy, which I'm super happy about, um, which is um, kind of our version of customer success, but it's, it's much more kind of sales and marketing consulting focused. Um, yeah. So we're building out our success team, our SDR team. We have um, I, you know, five leaders at this point. So there's plenty of people focused on client work and operations. Um, so you know, more and more I'm trying to get away from the day-to-day uh, um, but you know, I, I spent three hours yesterday writing copy for a client. So, um, sometimes it's been a big client. 
Yeah, you know, it was funny and not particularly. Yeah. Um, and uh, sometimes I just, I see a gap and sometimes maybe the team is a little busy for a time and I have an afternoon free, I'll step in and I'll do it, you know, and just fill that gap where I'm needed and I'll use it as a training opportunity for everyone else and sort of, um, they like it too. You know, it's kind of like my first sales manager when he would um, uh, like, instead of just saying, hey, get on the phones, he'd take leads for himself and, and dial. We all were motivated by that. And so I remember that too. And I try to like jump in the weeds again, just to kind of get in the front lines, rally the troops and, and do that for them. I think, I, I, so that point that you just brought up of like having a sales manager actually go in with you and make the calls, do the grunt work. I think that's so underrated and, and often overlooked in the sales world. Like too many times you're kind of just hearing someone tell you how to do it, what to do. Maybe they've done it in the past, but if they don't actually go and show you, you're not... And, and, you know, it's like not easy getting on the phone and making these calls or, you know, emailing someone for like the eighth time. But having someone out there like who's leading you, really showing it, I, I think is, is just so invaluable and can really increase morale across the board. And, you know, someone who's thinking maybe this isn't for me, if they see someone in a position where they want to be one day actually going and doing that stuff, it's it's just very underrated and really helps, you know, put everything in, in perspective. Um, so it's a you know, super powerful experience that you that you had there. And uh, in, in terms of what Revenue Zen actually does and the services that you provide for your clients, what is this? First of all, is this a, as a software as a service SaaS business where they're paying you on a monthly basis uh, and you have kind of a, a longer term contract? And also kind of just elaborate on that. And then uh, what do most of your clients actually uh, use these services to do? Yeah, good question. We, we don't have any tech of our own today. So um, we don't have any products we, we buy. So we're, we're purchasers of sales engagement platforms, um, you know, SEO platforms, that type of thing. We definitely toyed with the idea of taking some of our process we do by hand, building software to handle that, and then maybe spitting that, those, those software products off into purchasable things by other people. But for now, we're, we're 100% services. And so you know, we, we don't do any long-term contracts. I think the longest contract we have right now is like, it's, it's a five-month term. It's just very... Um, we don't run with that type of um, commitments. And so everything is subscription-based. So we kind of walk and talk like a SaaS company, but we're services. And so everybody just gets billed on the first of the month, um, plus maybe any commissions from the last month, if any. And um, most of the companies are early stage. Um, there's a couple that are Series B, a little bit beyond. Um, most of them are, are in that um, between pre-seed and Series A round. And we're either generating, we're generating leads for them, right? One way or another. And whether that's through building organic traffic, through, through content marketing and SEO, whether it's through personal branding, through writing their LinkedIn content and doing their, their outbounds, or whether we're actually bringing SDRs in, making cold calls, sending cold emails, doing a more traditional interruption-based prospecting process. The end goal of all this stuff is to get them leads um, and then to make sure that those leads have a good chance of closing. So really that's our North Star metric across the company is, are we delivering high quality leads to our clients uh, on a monthly basis and are they self-sufficient with those leads? Are we working with the right types of companies that, that have an interesting product, that have a unique value prop that actually does something good? Um, and is that company growing? And you know, today we're, we're, we've done a lot of work on, on who our ideal client should be. And the ones today are very strong and stable and we have you know, better long-term relationships now than when we first started out and we're still figuring these things out. So yeah, today we sort of, um, our, our accounting looks like a SaaS company's accounting in some yeah. ways, which is nice. It's very simple for both parties. 
Um, but we haven't built any products today, although, you know, in the future we, we, we might decide to. Gotcha. Yeah. I asked because you said it was a seven figure ARR business, but then I looked on the website and I didn't really see a product. You know what I mean? I didn't see like, here's what we sell. So I was just a little like unsure, but that's, that's really interesting. Now you said you help them get these quality leads after the quality leads come in. Do you guys do any work with ensuring that they're able to actually close these leads or is that, you know, a different uh, business model there? It's a good question. Um, Sometimes informally. Yeah. Um, Not a ton because at the end of the day, it's like we really have to choose companies to work with that can be self-sufficient. That's a big criteria. And in our ideal client is if they're in front of leads, do they have a sales process that's repeatable? Um, Mm -hmm. And there have definitely been cases where somebody has been like, you know, our, our, our AA team is good, but can you step in and help coach? Right. And we'll either get one of our leaders or sometimes even myself, I'll, I'll get, um, on regular coaching calls or we'll, we'll work with coaches. Um, it's a, it's a key part of you know what I used to do at my job and I coach my own team, but to coach our clients on closing today, I mean, I'd, I'd love to do it, but we just, it just, it falls out of our focus. And so it's one of the things that in the long term I'd like to do more of as we have more, more time more bandwidth, but right now we kind of have to depend on them and say, Hey, we're going to do the very best we can to know what's a good lead for you to find the right leads, to queue them up and do the best we can. But if you're going to crap the bed on, on getting on yeah. the Zoom <laughs> and working that sales process, then it's kind of hard to be like, that's our job because it really isn't. So um, yeah, today we don't do too much beyond the, the appointment being set. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like, you know, if it, I get from your perspective why you'd want to help them, you know, you just provide them these high quality leads. You don't want them to all go to waste. But But then on the other hand, it's like, you know, can you really walk them through this entire process? Because at that point, you might as well just like do everything for them. And, uh, you know, that's either going to have to cost a lot more or uh, it might not even make, you know, any financial sense for, for them because you're essentially handling everything. So uh, it's interesting to to um, kind of think about that. And, and I guess, you know, it is then a challenge separately to the, to then find those companies who can handle and can be self-sufficient without you needing to, to handhold them. I'm looking at your LinkedIn right now, and I'm looking at the timeline of, of when you uh, started Revenue Zen and when you left Indonero. For everyone out there who you know might be uh, working right now uh, in a sales role in particular, and they have this like really cool idea for a company to start, how do they know like that now it's time to make that leap? Like when did you did you leave and then start this, or was this something you were working on like on the back burner, and then once you saw some traction, you ended up uh, just going uh, full pursuit? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, honestly, the, the first thing that I did when I when I left was um, I had some loose plans to go work with a friend. Um, it didn't work out. And so I just started consulting and I, I just, a, a bunch of friends just said, wow, you're free. Can you, can you help us with this? And it was everything from Salesforce dashboards to, um, you know, sales automation platforms implementation to, can you coach my team? Can you review my discovery calls? Can you, you know, help us with pipeline? And then just kind of over time, what happened was, the biggest, most common thing people thought they needed help with, regardless of what in reality, I, I believe they needed help with. Yeah. <laughs> so like, and also lead gen is nice because it's really scalable um, and you can charge on a monthly basis for it. Right. And so for like a sales transformation or a sales um, recruiting, a lot of those types of services are, um, they're more project-based, right? They're more um, one time. And for me, my, my brain is really so comfortable with recurring revenue 
but I wanted to scale a business based on that. And so of the things that I was doing for consulting, I started saying no to the things that were more one-time, the more project-based. Um, we definitely used consulting to get us off the ground at first, but I, I saw the light in, in the Legion business and just figured, you know, of the things we're doing, this one is really consistent and I can, I can build a team to do it. Um, whereas if we were doing, you know, closing deals as a service, I would need to carry account executive payroll and that's just a whole other can of worms. And so that fundamental customer desires that we base this all around. And so I would say, if you're trying to start a company, just have your ear completely to the ground. Don't have an ego about the product that you really want to sell. Um, find your market first and build stuff for them, right? I mean, the exception is, you know, your Apple or your Ford, but great. If, if you are one of those things, you have the gumption already not to be listening to this podcast, but you're out there <laughs> being Steve Jobs. Great. You are one in a million. Do your thing. For the rest of us, the 999,000, listen to your market, build for your market. Don't do the other way around. Yeah. Really, really interesting point. And um, I, 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 yeah, I like how you brought that up. It's like you understood, you understood this space super well to the point where people actually were reaching out, asking for your help. And then essentially it was a signal. Like if people are asking for my help, maybe I know something. And if I know something, maybe I can start a business around it. And that's exactly what you did. So now let's talk a little bit about scale. You said you're at 17 people, you're doing seven figures in ARR. How did all of this happen in two years while you've actually bootstrapped the company, meaning you haven't taken any outside capital um, to to grow this business? Like, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, part of it is just I've, I've never raised money, and so I, I didn't um, think to do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, our, our company was set up originally just as a consultancy. It was just me with single member LLC for a few months before my, my first co-founder joined. Um, but uh, it wasn't set up to take institutional capital anyway. And so what happened was I opened a business bank account and tossed a thousand bucks in there um, and then collected my first client invoice and then just built it from there. And so at first the, the, you know, the bank account was really small. We took consulting fees. We you know, paid ourselves a very meager amount. Um, but what I made sure to do is just never lose money. And so every month, month in, month out, we added a bit to the bank account. And when we paid ourselves, we paid ourselves less than we took in. And so we're, you know, we're basically living, um, you know, a chunk below our means. And so eventually you have just more money to work with and you can just pay yourself more. And, yeah. and um, uh, I think that the, our company is in a really cool spot. And this is one of the, the beautiful pieces of advice I'd give to new entrepreneurs is try to find a way to, to ask smaller companies for much bigger checks than usual, right? So if, if yeah. you're asking for 100,000 from Fortune 500, it's gonna be really hard to get that money because the sales cycle is super long. But if you can find a way to have companies with you know, 10, five, even one person shows paying you six figures a year, then it's a lot easier to shorten that sales cycle and bootstrap a company and grow fast because you can have fewer clients, short sales cycles, big deal sizes, um, and not have to uh, struggle with, you know, collecting 400 bucks a month from uh, 20 people to, to try to scrape by. Yeah. You know, you're collecting four or five, 10, 20,000 a month from people. Um, and they're happily paying it because you're delivering more in return. Um, but just, you know, stay profitable um, and try to reinvest, try to do everything you can to increase deal size and while going down market. So if you nail that balance of down market for short sales cycle, but big deal size, then you can, that, that's sort of like the, the biggest bootstrapping hack that I can, I can offer is 
that will, will, will make scaling happen much quicker than if you, you know, try to shoot for Nike and Adobe as your first two customers. This can take forever. Yeah, and and it's it's really great that you know you kind of started having this cash flow coming right in on on day one. Um, just makes your life a lot easier. Makes you know it, you don't have this uh, feeling that you need to um, kind of raise around in a certain amount of time for for the you know payroll to 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 not go under for 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 pay, for t- t- payroll for the company not to go under and all of that. So it's that's it's a really interesting way of doing business. I mean, it's it's more difficult in the sense that you can't just spend money that you don't have, but it does make you more disciplined in a way. And for everyone out there who's listening, um, one of the things I, I thought you mentioned was really important was you know how to get small businesses to pay more. So startup companies, young companies, like they, they everyone's strapped for cash. How do you, in this kind of like a services type of business, convince someone to pay you more, especially when you know they might be used to paying a much lower price in the beginning? it's hard to, there's no real shortcut for it other than just do something that's big. Um, so, you know, for us, it's not only performance-based and it's it's not a cost center, but it's a revenue generator. So it commands a higher price point already, um, but we handle a big function. Like we handle, in many cases, the company's entire marketing department. Mm-hmm. Um, many clients of ours have no internal marketing or, or SDR or Legion hires. They have maybe a few closers and some founders, they have a team of being between you know five and twenty people. Um, even when they do have marketers, they don't have specialized marketers, right? They they may have a, a VP of marketing who's just running around trying to get everything done, but they don't have a dedicated content manager and a content team. And so we just handle an entire function. Um, and so we j- we just do a bigger chunk of stuff, right? So if yeah. you're selling a product that handles a small chunk of stuff, right, a small job to be done, you're not going to get much of a price point for it, right? If you're, if you're, you know, um, main street hub and you're managing social media, there isn't a role for that in many small businesses. That's, that's pretty big. It's usually like an intern or a part-time role. Um, but the sales and marketing role has a big chunk of it, right? Um, in the same way I've seen CFO consultants be able to command really high price points, um, companies that are pretty small because it's a specialized job. Um, it is a big job to be done. Um, but anyone who's doing a large chunk of work, um, and then ideally, you know, also playing a part in revenue, um, not cost, um, is going to have an easier time asking for more money than doing a small job with your product. Now the stakes are higher. You have a big job, you know, you're more at risk. Um, yeah. Yeah. you're going to have a much longer life lifespan. Um, but that is the way to, you know, in my view to, it's one way of getting a large deal size from a small customer. Yeah. Gotcha. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm hearing like, you know, just do more, um, provide amazing service and perform. And, and, and then, you know, just, just own up, like explain to them why you're worth it. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, when you get a job, it's, it's a similar, um, similar, uh, mentality of like, you know, knowing your worth and, and being able to kind of command what you think, uh, you should get. And if, I mean, if they don't disagree, if they disagree, that's, you know, up to them. But it looks like you know if you're providing that that high service, then it's it's very difficult for even a smaller company um, to to refuse those. So that's uh, really interesting. And you mentioned content marketing. I want to talk a little bit about that because it's so important, especially now. Um, you know, organic, high quality content is is so often how companies are able to differentiate themselves from their competitors. If you search, you know, how to X Y Z, and a company 
with a really good blog about it pops up on Google right away, you're more likely to actually you know buy their buy their product or use their service. What do you see as the biggest mistakes that companies make when it comes to content marketing, and what do you do to to fix those and to offer them quality uh, content? Yeah, good question. Um, I mean, the the biggest mistake that I come across with that is just not seeing it as an option. And so most people, um, many times, you know, multiple times a week, uh, someone will come to us thinking and assuming that hiring an SDR is their first, only, and best option for lead gen growth. And I, I mean, it's one thing we do. It's the most expensive thing we do. Um, and the stakes are the highest. And so, you know, companies without a great content presence who don't really have a strong brand, aren't really writing any, any articles on their site, their website copy is not very optimized, their founders' LinkedIn's are empty and formatted like a resume, and they don't have a good picture up there, they're not mm-hmm. writing posts, they're not writing on Quora, they're just not doing that. They're, they're, they're doing something, they want to do something that they don't realize has a powerful impact, right? Outbound has a powerful impact, but yeah. it's like advertising. It, it stops working when you stop putting money into it. Now, with content marketing, especially with SEO and website content marketing, investments in your, your, your content and your brand pay dividends long after you stop putting work into them. And if you keep putting work into them, then they just compound, right? So everyone always wants to have had inbound lead flow um, long before they started investing in it. People usually decide to do content marketing the moment that they realize they need inbound leads now. Um, but to have that, you should have started doing it six months ago. Yeah, you don't want to, I feel like it's hard to to get people's eyeballs on it if like they go to your blog page and there's nothing there except like one or two articles. Exactly. So the biggest thing is I always recommend people at least do like a minimum viable content strategy before you do any outbound. So the biggest thing is in terms of hierarchy of choosing your, your, your channels, um, you know, this is not a perfect foolproof way to do it, but I would almost always recommend, you know, A, regular weekly blog posts at least. Um, B, format your LinkedIn like, a, like an advertisement, build your network and write something once a week. C, start doing outbound in that order. Um, and then once you have those three things running in a minimum viable way, then you can decide, okay, which of these channels should I really pursue more? Um, but as long as you start doing your, your content work long before you need it, it's going to start paying much better for itself so that by the time you start driving people to your, your side and your brand through outbound, there's something for prospects to look at, to check your credibility against. There's a brand that, that sits behind them. Um, and if you're a sales rep working for a, a fantastic brand that has great recognition, you're going to have a lot easier of a time than if you, than if you have nothing behind you. Yeah. Um, the reason why, you know, if you're from Oracle or Salesforce, you call somebody and they're just like, oh, okay, well, you know, I don't know if I need this or not, but I'll take the call because you're huge. And you basically, you know, the, the brand carries itself and it, it opens doors for you. So if you don't do that, you're fighting a much harder uphill battle with outbound. So the biggest mistake I, I see is um, trying to do outbound before you have your inbound house in order. Um, don't do that. Do outbound, but get your inbound house in order before you do it. It's a very simple fix, but people usually reverse that. Yeah, I guess because like doing the content marketing seems like, I feel like if, if you already don't have a big audience and you know you post a bunch of stuff and you're getting like 10 people to read it per article or per blog, you could get a little bit defeated. But 
you know, it also comes down to like optics in a way. If someone goes to your page and they see all of this like strong content, they might not read it, but it just provides that boost where it's like, yeah, this is a legit company. These people know what they're talking about. And then, you know, as you get more customers, as your search rankings improve, as more people go to your site, you start seeing this become more popular and popular and, and it all kind of comes together. So it's it's great that that's like actually what you start focusing on when, when you get in there. One more thing I think is, you know, really interesting about, about you and the, and the way you run your business is that uh, it seems like you have a super strong focus on customer experience. So you have a really high NPS score. Let me see if I wrote it down here somewhere. It was like... 83. 83, yeah. So, I mean, that's, you know... For for anyone who's not familiar with with a net promoter score, that's you know very very high. Like the the highest is a hundred, and like the lowest is as well like a negative hundred or something. Or yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So you're you're very close to the top. Like, why do you think that's the case, and what can other people do to improve their own? Good question. Um, I think that that founders are from a lot of different personalities, right, and and, and types. Um, you know, we all know the the archetype of the, honestly, the kind of unempathetic sociopath CEO who <laughs> people as as just numbers, and that reflects in everything, right? Um, I tend to fall on a little bit of the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, you know, getting more into the psychology of it um, in a, in attachment theory, that would be like an avoidant person, right? Avoidantly attached to their to their to people, including their customers. And I noticed that you know, I if I'm kind of secure in the middle, leaning maybe a little bit anxious. That leads me to be more, you know, uh, less able to shrug off some of the difficulties, but also very intuitive and much more focused on the the goings on. That my, you know, my intuition is really good. My my I listen really actively. I think about this stuff, and you know, it's it's for better or worse, right? And if I'm waking up in the morning having dreamt about work that night, it's not good. I don't want to do that. That's annoying. I want to get a good night's sleep, but it also I'm, I'm spending a lot of mental energy on this stuff. And, you know, I, I love it. Fortunately, I love the work. I love our customers and I'm, I'm quite obsessed with it. And so um, it makes me super, super attentive. And so, you know, I, instead of glossing over the little things and cutting corners, we just don't do that, right? And so um, many people in our situation, the first thing the founders would do is outsource as much as possible. All of our hires in the, in the U.S. There's pros and cons. We have, we have um, our, our margins are much lower than most of our competitors. And I've, I know a lot of our competitors. I'm friends with a lot of them and I've seen their books and this is the, this is the truth. And so for us, it's more like, okay, two years in, we're finally starting to consider some of the ways around the edges where we might be able to cut costs. Um, but it's, it's very much like it's an afterthought for us. The first thought for us is, um, are we doing a good job? Because I believe that it's, it's my personal reputation at stake um, for whatever our company does. And I, I for, for better or worse, believe that ev- anything from revenues end is going to tie back to me for good or bad. And so um, that doesn't mean I need to micromanage. It means the opposite. I need to train very well, but it means I need to overstaff, over-equip, empower everybody, um, take on really good clients, um, you know, so that I don't go home at the end of the day thinking that um, my work and the company's work has reflected poorly on my reputation. And so that's just, that's just part of who I am as a person in life and in business. And um, it, it, in some ways, it's not necessarily the best strategy to build a huge billion dollar company, right? You, you kind of yeah. want to be able to gloss over some things and to, to sleep better at night doing that. Um, but you also don't need to be, right? And so I'm trying to, to, this whole business is my way of 
trying to show that you can be somebody like me and grow a company quickly and get you know as good or better financial results while being extremely attentive, extremely customer focused, and not just in the like in, in name, like writing on the website, but at a very close level, um, having that um, emotional investment uh, beyond the professional investment in the success of people we work with. Um, so I think that's where it comes from. Um, now, uh, I mean, NPS is, is one of the many metrics we track and, and I find that people don't join and leave us because of NPS. People join and leave us because the strategies that we can do for them are or are not part of a good strategy for them, right? So if a company joins us, we knock it out of the park with, with quota for outbound and they decide three months later, wow, we've talked to, to 40 enterprise companies um, and we've learned that our product needs to pivot dramatically. They, they would give us a 10 and then leave two weeks later. But they yeah. would do so while saying, look, we so appreciate this work. It's amazing. You accelerated our golden market time. I just have to fire a bunch of people, including you guys, and focus on changing our product around. This has happened twice. Um, and in both cases, I was like, you know what? All right, cool. Like, do your thing. Like, I don't, I don't take it personally. But um, it's interesting. So our NPS is very high, but it's actually not that relevant of a metric for a company like ours. It is very relevant offer company but it has less to do with our outcomes than than most people do so i'm trying to balance that as one of our metrics interesting yeah so it seems like it's just the fact that you and and you know the culture that that you and your co-founders have have brought into this company is that you know customers first customer success is, is key and obviously they're starting they feel that you know even even when they aren't successful and, they, and their product doesn't work and they have to change the entire business they still understand that you know revenue zen was there for us revenue zen helped us and you know although it didn't really amount to anything like they we still had a great experience so I mean, that's all you can really ask for, like in, in this type of business. And, you know, obviously it sucks for the for the customer and it's unfortunate, you know, that that happened. But, you know, at least you kind of did all you can. And uh, from hearing what you had said about, you know, your goals and uh, why you've decided to take this more slowly in the sense that you're not kind of out there, you know, cutting corners. Where do you see this this business going in the future? Are you in this for the long haul? Do you want to take it all the way or kind of how do you envision, you know, exit strategy? Although, you know, you've only been doing this for like two years. Uh, so maybe a little too early to ask. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, there are definitely, um, we've definitely had people sort of subtly bring this up. Um, and we've, you know, contemplated the idea that, you know, being acquired by a larger, um, like a bigger agency doing what we're doing and that wants to add our capabilities, our culture, everything to their, to their you know, larger banner could make sense. Um, it also is not necessarily the path that we need to take. And so the way I approach this is as um, for as long as we are enjoying our lives, enjoying our clients, we're doing good work and we're, we're serving people well, then there's no reason to stop, right? We're still growing. We're still we're growing, you know, about 10% a month. It's, it's just like clockwork. We keep growing. So wow. might as well keep growing, right? Yeah. <laughs> and if along the way, something else derails us from that path, meaning you know, it's been seven years and we're just burned out from lead gen. Uh, there's a very compelling acquisition offer from a great company that really wants to work with us at their back and we want to cash out. Cool, right? There, there's there's some paths that um, we could take, but um, what the way I want to approach this is not by having the expectation that a certain outcome will, will happen, right? Like I'm not in this saying, all right, by this date, 
we got to get acquired. No, I mean, I'm also not saying we're never going to get acquired. I just don't, I'm not going to make any expectations about that. I'm not going to hold myself hopeful or, or, or open to be disappointed about that. I'm just going to walk the path I'm currently on. And if, um, if something wants to present itself, then I, I trust that, you know, life will present that opportunity and we'll deal with it when it comes. Um, but I'm going to make no, um, I'm not going to try to control or force life to do what um, I have something in my mind, right? Because life doesn't work, right? All you can do is, uh, you know, do your best, do the best work you can um, and just control yourself. And then whatever anyone else wants to do, they can do. And so um, I think I have a bit more open of an exit strategy, uh, meaning I, I don't have that one. I just have a strategy of doing good work. And then if there's a way that we, that it's right for us to exit, meaning we could do better work or we're so burned out that we're not doing any good work anymore, then it would make sense. But, but for now and for the foreseeable future, that doesn't make sense. And so yeah. um, I guess that's where we are. Awesome. Yeah. And I think that's just such a great way of uh, a philosophy of how to live life. I mean, I, I, I pretty much view, you know, just life in general in the completely same way. Like you can only really control, you know, what you do, how you do it and, and really just the circle around you. And, you know, if some external force wants to come in and do something that's unexpected, like make an acquisition offer that would work out perfectly and you can refuse, then, you know, that happens. But one of the perks, again, of, of being bootstrapped is that you don't have to exit. You don't have investors kind of knocking on the door asking when they're going to get a return. Um, you know, just cash in, cash out. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, for everyone out there who, you know, considers like, oh, can I even start a business without raising money? You definitely can. Um, and although, you know, there are obviously some cons to it, you have, you can, you have to grow slower typically, although Alex is proving he's growing 10% month over month, you know, it's, it's not a necessity that you have to, you know, grow in like a slow, you know, small business. It's, it's just not the case. Um, but there are the perks too, where you're really only accountable to yourself, uh, your employees and your, your other co-founders. And, um, it makes a huge difference. So Alex, I, I, as we're winding this down, I want to be respectful of your time, but, you know, thank you again so much for, for coming on. Uh, I want to hand it over to you for any final thoughts. Uh, if anyone is interested in connecting with you, let them know the best place to do so. Uh, and if they're interested in checking out revenues and, um, getting a job using you guys as customers, let them know the best place to, to find you. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, the, the best place to find me, I'm really active on, on LinkedIn, always there. So if you want to connect with me there, either if you're, you know, super good at lead gen and you want to join our team, I'm happy to talk with you. Uh, if you're a founder that has questions about growth, same idea, find me on LinkedIn. Um, our website was just redesigned a couple months ago. It's very pretty, um, but if you yeah, want to talk great. to me, yeah, thank you. If you want to talk to somebody directly, that LinkedIn is the best place to find me for sure. Awesome. Yeah. And that's how we connected. Uh I'll vouch for Alex here. You answered my email and like, or just regular message on like 20 minutes or something, maybe even less than that uh, about coming on the podcast. So he's super responsive. Uh, if you have some good questions, definitely reach out. Alex, thank you again so much. I really enjoyed this conversation with you. Yeah, thank you as well, Ben. It's been great being here. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, go rate and subscribe to the podcast. Even share it with your friends if you found the lessons valuable. We do the show every week, so stay tuned for more episodes. And till next time.